Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My guest today is Mike Medeo. Mike is an American wine writer and blogger who lives in Pennsylvania. That wasn't your native state, though, was it? I was born in Virginia and grew up in Massachusetts, actually. So were your parents involved in wine, wine writing, blogging? No, not Did at all. Um, my, my mother was actually a, a home ec teacher, and so she is the one who taught me how to uh, to cook and get into food and, and wine, sort of. A home came. what teacher? Home economics. A uh, home economics? Yes, home ec. So you were a good baker then, were you? Yes, I'm, I, I'm very into cooking and, and uh, more into cooking than that I don't have to follow a recipe. But oh, well, How did you or your family end up in Pennsylvania? My dad's a physician, actually, and so um, we moved around a little bit. And I moved there when I was in high school. And so age-wise? Maybe 14 years old. And Was that quite tough? No. It's quite a tough age to move, isn't it, 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 is, it, it? Yeah, I mean... Is that why you became a wine blog? You had all this <laughs> angst inside you. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. So that's uh, why I like to write. And it was difficult to move at that age for sure. But uh, kids are pretty resilient, even though it was hard. It was probably probably harder as, as an adult than it is as a kid. So, so when did you start writing? Did you um, like, write a diary when you were small? Um, I always liked writing in school. I uh, just enjoyed doing it. Um, creative writing. Creative writing, you know, any sort of writing. I, uh, as I said, being an introvert, it's, it's nice to uh, be able to think about what you want to say before you actually have to say it. So that's, that's why writing appeals to me so much and why I'm, I'm sweating profusely right now. You are, yeah. It's like <laughs> minus five in the studio. And uh, uh, you'll be fine, don't worry. And introverted people are often the best interviewees because they're, they're not show-offs. You know, and they enough, can be yeah. boring as hell. <laughs> and uh, so far now, I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay, so obviously you've got a sort of artistic street, streak. So did you get that from your mum, who was the creative type with the food, or from your dad, who presumably was quite a scientific guy if he was in yes, a position? Yeah, and I have a, I would say a little bit of both. So yeah, I think the creative side is probably from my mom, yeah. Okay, so when did you start, how old are you? You, by the way, I am 42 years old. Right, math was not obviously your strong point in school, so. <laughs> I just don't remember that. Before. So, when you left, um how do you call it, high school? Did you go to university? I did. And what did you read or study? I studied leadership. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, because I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. Right. And do you now know what you want to do with, with, with your life? Hey, it's evolving every day. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the wine blogging thing has certainly been fun for a while. I was looking to expand that. But when did you start? When did you graduate? Which year did you graduate? So I graduated from college in the late 90s and um, went into computers and actually done a lot of work in like computer web design type type work. So were you sort of one, not a pioneer, but this was when you know the internet was becoming known, Correct, shall we say. Yeah. I think I got my first email address probably about 1998. Yeah, nine. that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So that was about the time I was getting into it as so well. So were you like a computer scientist or not? So it's interesting because I I considered studying computer science in school and um, I didn't like it because it was that sort of coding, just staring at you know code on the screen. And I later found the sort of design side, the um, the way people use computers to be much more interesting. So, so not the back end, yeah. the front end product. Correct, yeah. Okay, so you left school. I did. You had several job rejections. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that, were there any periods after that where you literally had no job at all, or have you always been self-sufficient? Some short periods, uh, but uh, for the most part, I've, I've been able to, to keep it going. Flipping burgers yeah. at McDonald's. <laughs> you ever do that? Not, not quite. Okay. No. So what was the last job you had before you became a world-famous blogger? <laughs> 
I study, uh, and I still do this, I study uh, the way people use computer products. A re- computer product being, so being what? A mouse or a no, software? No, like a website. Yeah, mostly software. Websites, uh, apps, things of that nature. Yeah. So you, when you say you study... So I'm a researcher, so I, I observe people using different types of products. Well, secret cameras in people's houses? Or? <laughs> no, they're, uh, they, they know that they're being observed. But how does that work, though? You just track everything they do on their computer yeah, or I mean, phone? Yeah, it's... Or? it's um, you know, it's... Uh, you, it would be just like you and me sitting here, but I'd be looking over your shoulder as you were trying to do something on your computer. But not physically, but you have a, like, you're not actually physically standing over somebody, are you? I mean, you can be. Technology obviously allows us to do that remotely as well. What if someone days. breaks wind? You're leaning over their shoulder. <laughs> and... you, you actually want it to be as realistic as possible, so dogs barking and kids screaming is a good thing. Seriously? Yeah. I never knew people did that, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Yeah. So you'll literally look at what they're typing or what, how they're Googling to yeah. coin the phrase. Yeah. And so what, what are you trying to derive from that? Trying to make the experience for them for them better, or to make it easier for the likes of Google or Facebook, over to sell advertising and products to them. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of both because you know typically there's a business behind it. So who's paying you? The, the great <laughs> Satan Google. Typically, the business is paying you, but uh, the point is to make it easier for people to use the software and spend money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've got quite a commercial streak then. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got you got to pay the bills, right? Okay. And so obviously, a man, man with computer skills and commercial streak ends up being a blogger, which is not necessarily <laughs> known for its remunerative joy. No, no, definitely not. So how did that start? About 15 years ago, I started writing about restaurants in the area where I lived, which is the suburbs of Philadelphia. And this was back when there were not a lot of bloggers, not a lot of content out there. It was in the days of City Search, people might remember, before Yelp, before, you know, uh, Urban Spoon and, and sites like that. So this was like early 2000s? Yeah. Yeah, but 2003. And uh, the, the nice thing about about it then was that there was people looking online for content and not enough content out there. And I think I was blogging about restaurants, but wine blogging kind of picked up around that same time. You had uh, you know, some of the early wine bloggers like Alderiero, Vinography, and um, you know, Terroirist, a few others. You know, it was it was this sort of perfect moment where you had all these people looking for this content and there wasn't that much content out there. So if you were somewhat dedicated to it, it was relatively easy to kind of build up uh, traffic pretty quickly. So I remember that was the first time I heard the word blog. I was at a friend's house. Actually, she was a master of wine. And she said, I've just started my blog. And I was like, what on earth are you <laughs> talking about? I have no idea what that is. And why would you, and she explained it with her, why would you want to do that? You know, I, for me, it was just a creative outlet. Um, I, as I said, I always liked writing and I just thought it would be fun. I actually was was doing it on music a little a little while before that, really just to get free CDs. But did you know anything about music? I did. I mean, I, I went to a lot of live shows and listened to a lot of music at the time. And then, um, sort of on a whim, I started talking about this uh, the restaurants in my area because I was sick of going online and, and not finding anything about them. So, and clearly there were a lot of other people interested in that, and they just uh, you know started come started pouring in. So you started blogging. So what was your blog called? It's called Mainline Dine. Mainline Dine. Yeah, so the area I live is called the Main Line. It's like the suburbs of Philadelphia. The Main Line. Yeah. So what kind of suburb? Is it very bourgeois, middle class? Is it hickey? The Main Line is like the high-end um, uh, high suburbs. I would have expected nothing less yes. than a quality guy like you. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I, I live on the far reaches of it, but that's okay. Okay, so <laughs> you're, you're basically appealing to a fairly, presumably knowledgeable, safely middle class, presumably predominantly white audience for that blog. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. And now you're blogging about, are you blogging about wine? Yes. About? Yeah. Okay. So what's your yeah. wine blog called? Well, so I'm doing, I'm, I'm working in a couple different places. I've got, there's a site called Palette Press. Are you familiar with that website? Yes. Yeah, so you can tell us a bit about it very briefly. So essentially what it, what it is, and it's been around for a while, but it was, um, it was started as essentially a way to bring a bunch of bloggers together, posting under the same masthead so that instead of each person having their own individual blog, let's, let's have one place to go to, to get um, a bunch of different perspectives. So it just makes it easier for readers, isn't it? Yeah. So like a newspaper, yeah, with several columnists and right. contributors, right? And it makes it easier for the bloggers as well because you know you have this sort of group of people that that are promoting uh, your stuff. So and also, you don't you just send the copy in and somebody else sticks it online. And well, so I'm actually um, serving as an editor there on the editorial board. So I'm blogging myself there and also editing and posting some of the uh, other stuff. And my technical web design background, I'm doing that kind of stuff for them as well. Okay, so you do a bit of both. I mean, what's your, in terms of wine, when you're writing, what is the thing that really floats your boat? I obviously love Italian wines. That's why I'm here. The check's in the post. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, for me, it's always about discovering something different. And that's one of the things I love about Italy is that no matter how much you know about it, there's always something around the next corner that you haven't tried before. And uh, so just constantly kind of looking out for the next interesting or even weird, uh, weird wine. Which will be what, in your view? <laughs> Uh, what have you had recently that was you know, outside your sort of daily sure. ambit? Well, certainly yesterday, the Gravner tasting was very interesting. The sort of uh, oxidized orange wines aged in um, amphora. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, for me personally, I'm going to go out and, and buy a bunch of that stuff. But it was it was definitely interesting to to try uh, something a little bit different. I'm not sure how you know, broadly appealing that's going to be to the market. Although I, I, I sort of hate the, the whole, like, the, it's the next big whatever. Um, seems to never actually come true. Um, I've been hearing, hearing that Alianico is the next uh, Barolo for years, and I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen. So yeah, although it is a sort of seen as one of Italy's three. Yeah, best I mean grapes. it's it's a great wine, and I I love it. And it, but it's um you know to the point that uh, is it going to be collectible like something like Barolo? I'm not sure we're at that point. But uh, and you know I sort of hope we don't get to that point because I like buying it. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. Yeah, it's like one of those classics that. But you, I think you could say the same about Chianti Classico. I keep on banging on about Canti Classico, partly because it's near where I live. Yeah, you're a Tuscan guy, yeah. But, um, you know, it's just so undervalued. The, the best ones, particularly the ones that haven't been screwed up with Bordeaux yeah, grapes. for sure, yeah. Um, are very, very undervalued. <laughs> it seems like the trend is moving away from that, that more and more people are ditching yeah. those, so that, that should be good as well. Slowly. I think there will still be the diehards that, that want to um, Bordeauxify. I've worked <laughs> in Bordeaux. Just, I don't, I've never seen anybody with Sangiovese in Bordeaux <laughs> come <laughs> right, to Tuscany. Right, right. And, I, and I see lots of Cabernet and Merlot, especially Merlot. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah. That's a whole thing we're here to talk about. <laughs> You. So the palette press is a sort of a, like a, almost like a collective of. Uh, I mean, do you get paid? How 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 do you guys get paid? Yeah, there's um, there's a small amount. It's it's not you know it doesn't necessarily pay the bills, but it there is a, a small payment to to bloggers uh, based on you know small amount of advertising money. So right, so so it do, does carry advertising. So it's basically people click on the site, read an article, maybe get shown an advert, and that's how it's funded. Correct. I mean, that is pretty much the way that unless you either have a subscription, you know, you pay ten dollars a month or whatever to log on to shatter to blog.com whoever it right, is right. or is the advertising yeah I mean, do you feel uncut? I mean this isn't a loaded question at all do you feel I mean do you feel that that compromises in your independence or do you not even know who or care who the advertisers are yeah I mean in, in that case I think it can um, in the case of Palette Press it doesn't at all because I don't know who the advertisers are um, nor do I really care but I will say that in my history of blogging it that is something that is an issue not only from an advertisement
business standpoint, but, you know, people send you free wine. And one of the reasons I got out of the restaurant game was discomfort with the idea of going to an opening of a restaurant and trying to evaluate it independently when the people sort of know who you are. And that's sort of the classic thing with the restaurant critic, you know, wearing disguises and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you have the same thing in the wine space. You know, you go visit a winery or you uh, they send you wine or, or whatever. And so it, it can be difficult to, to balance that. I uh, I feel like I do a pretty good job, but, you know, there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I suppose if you visit a winery and they, obviously they're not going to get out the oxidized crap that no one has ever bought, they get the best bottles out. Yeah, and I mean, you know, sometimes you go and you love it and sometimes you don't. It's it's always, the, that's always the challenge is that if you, if someone has put the time into spending some time with you or sending you some wine or whatever and it, it doesn't come across as well, it is, it is tricky sometimes. I tend to try to only write about things that I like. Back when I was doing restaurants, you know, you had to write negative reviews and that was never a pleasant thing, but I felt like, you know, people are going to go spend their money there. They need to, you know, they're looking to me to tell them what to expect and, and I try to be honest, as honest as I could. Did you ever get any bad feedback from restaurateurs saying, oh, this might be there, guy doesn't know what he's talking about? <laughs> a lot. Um, so that was 15 years ago and to your point, nobody really knew about this blogger thing, so you'd get like these angry letters from chefs and that always cracked me up. But I did them some favors as well. I would have, I can remember a number of times where somebody posted a, a negative comment about a restaurant and the chef sort of tore into them and I just deleted the comment and said, I'm doing you a favor by not posting this uh, to the site. Okay, so what is the future? I mean, do you ever see yourself moving away from wine writing? Do you ever get bored by it, the churn, the fact that it is not always incredibly well paid? I mean, there are a few, very few wine writers, I think, who really do make a yeah. big living. So it's interesting you ask that because tomorrow at Wine to Wine, I'm going to be speaking about sort of the state of wine blogging and how the industry is evolving. And I was asked to talk about wine writing or wine blogging. And I started preparing for my presentation and, and I had a conversation with Stevie Kim and she said, but wine, wine blogs are dead, right? <laughs> and in, in her always very direct way. And so in preparing for the, the presentation, and I'd been doing this myself anyway, just started thinking about like, what is next? How is it evolving? And you know, for me, it's beyond just blogging. It's any sort of content creation I think is interesting. And you know, there's video, there's social media, there's photography, there's, there's so many different things. There's podcasts, obviously. So there's there's a lot of different ways, and I think we have to diversify ourselves to you know maintain sort of that interest and that influence in the industry. Doesn't that really depend on who is listening, though? You know, do we always know our audience as writers or creators of whatever it is, as you say, photography or or, or an article or a podcast? Not necessarily, but I think that different people respond to different types of content. So if you're able to diversify yourself, if you have long-form text content, that's going to appeal to certain people. If you have a video, that's going to appeal to somebody else potentially. Maybe there's overlap there, but but I think that long term, the people who are able to sustain in this industry will be people who are able to kind of reach different audiences. Also, if something changes, you know, technology changes all the time. If Facebook changes their algorithm for posting videos, you don't want that to, to ruin everything that you're, you've been working on. So. Isn't, isn't, I mean, I've got friends that work in the movie business. Movie critics review a movie, Bambi. Everybody throughout on the planet, everybody will see exactly the same movie, the exactly the same film, everything will be the same. Whereas, you know, anybody that tries a bottle of wine, even if it's got the same, it's always going to say slightly different. Yeah. Isn't that, aren't we sort of beating ourselves up by pretending that we offer some form of truth about something that is incredibly nebulous? Yeah, I agree. And that's actually why I've gotten away personally from writing any sort of reviews, giving any sort of ratings. I'd much rather just tell a story. And, you know, I think that that's really the, the thing that's going to connect with people most is if there's an interesting story. It's like 
like the classic thing, you know, why does wine taste better on vacation because you're on vacation? Wine's going to taste better if you know the story, if it's an interesting story and it connects to something that you're passionate about. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I kind of have mixed feelings. I really hate writing tasting notes and um, I just think they're so they're useful for me and me only, really. Yeah, I mean, so it's, speaking it's, to myself, it's, it's good fine. to, uh, it's good, you know, I, I'll go on Cellar Tracker and write a tasting note, but to your point, yes, other people can see it, but it's really for, so that I can remember remember it more than it is for uh, for other people. Yes, yeah, interesting. You talk about. So, I mean, what about storytelling? Now we have so many tools to tell stories. It's not just the written word or even right. the oral right. word. We have obviously podcasts. We have video, uh, as well as um, still paper books and electronic books. Do you see any novel forms of communication that we could utilize to tell these stories? Technology is always changing. Someone asked me uh, earlier today. You know, what's what does it look like in five years? And you know, it, it changes so rapidly that it's really hard to say. Um, there's a lot of people in in the commerce industry that are interested in like augmented reality, virtual reality right now. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I was chatting with a, a winemaker earlier and we were talking about if there was a way to have the person sort of experience the winery without actually having to travel to the winery. That could be a really interesting, really interesting thing. How to actually do that, you know, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, as technology improves, there's definitely uh, some interesting options. But you could sort there. of get the Google mobile in there, couldn't you, with its three or what is it, 4D camera. Because, yeah, you know. yeah, and I mean, you know, they have I these... Mean, how interesting would that be? I can't think of anything worse than you know, <laughs> some scratchy, terrible film. You know, um, What's it called? Google, Google, the road thing. When it go, the thing. Oh, the um, Google Earth or whatever. Or yeah. Google, and Google it's also Maps. quite invasive as well. I mean, if yeah. you're, yeah. if the day that the camera gets there and you've just done a really shitty job in the winery, it's filthy. And well, people, I, think, oh my <laughs> god, this terrible. Looks like an abattoir on a bad day. Yeah, I mean, I would think this would be more controlled by the winery, so they could they could put their their best foot. Well, that's even worse though. They make it look spick and span and the wine tastes right. like shit. I mean, so, <laughs> so you kind of can't win, can you? Unless it's like yeah. you're literally having live feeds from yeah. wineries. Yeah, which, I mean, again, is not, I don't know. I mean, the Wi-Fi here in Italy is never very good, but... We've got um, three cameras other, on you at the moment. <laughs> other than that, I think it's, uh, as technology improves, the sky seems to be the limit with this sort of stuff. To your point, will that ever truly replace the real experience? Probably not. Um, but uh, that's, that's sort of a broader conversation for uh, human evolution uh, that I don't know that we have time to I'm go not sure that I, I, I think technology's evolving. I don't think we are anymore. I think we've kind of almost very depressing. We're devolving. Yeah, a little bit. I think the people from that that Wally movie that just sit in the chairs and float around. Yeah, no, I didn't see the end of that. I, I found that too depressing. <laughs> Wally. And you, you're quite a laconic guy. You know, you're quite shy, uh, and I can see why you're. I mean, you know, if anybody had guessed what um, your career would be, and you know, I met you for like two, and I said either he's either a train spotter <laughs> or he's he's blogging about something really boring like wine. Yes, yeah, totally boring. But that, that's not. But I mean, I'm just saying that you know you're. You're quite a quiet guy. I mean, that's that's your way of expressing yourself, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm I'm far more comfortable writing because I can sort of go over it in my mind and, and put the words exactly how I want to say them. Whereas right now, you and I are just chatting and I'm just spewing at the mouth. No, no, you've done pretty well. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, um, you've had a, you've had a, I mean, your career has been very. You know, the fact that you sort of right there at the beginning almost um, and taking notice of computer code and and the potential that yeah, and I mean, I, you know, one of the reasons that the wine industry interests me in general is that I feel like it does tend to run a little bit behind some other industries from a technology standpoint. And so, you know, having worked in some other industries and seeing some of the potential of some of these technologies and then thinking, man, there's so much opportunity 
opportunity here for wineries and, and other places like that to uh, to get some of the stuff done. And you know, even e-commerce, as, as, as pervasive as it's become and just sort of an assumed thing in everyday life, e-commerce and wine is still you know much further behind. Uh, but isn't that because wine is heavy, fragile, and subject to lots of regulation? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it, for sure. Uh, we're seeing that change to some extent very slowly, but it's, it's changing. And I think it's one of those things that the e-commerce train is moving and, and at some point it's going to, you know, the wine industry is going to need to get on board with that. You know, I live in Pennsylvania, which is one of the most restrictive states in the entire uh, United States. There's, a, you know, it's government control. Uh, all wine has to flow through this government agency. And so it's it's a nightmare to, to ship and do things like that. But even that, you know, we, we have wine in supermarkets now. We didn't have that last year. So well, that's incredible, isn't it, to think of a country <laughs> like America with no wine. You know, you can go, well, you can presumably go and buy an AK-47. Yes, yes. Yeah, can uh, you, that was, that was, uh, I don't know because I've never tried, but <laughs> certainly it, it seemed like at some point it was uh, easier to get uh, wine outside of Pennsylvania. That it would be easier to get a gun than wine that's not sold in Pennsylvania into Pennsylvania. Yeah, so. Maybe you should change. I mean, if you had to change state, which state would you live in? Would you live with the hippie dippies in California, <laughs> or would you go stay on the on the East Coast? It's uh, it's funny. I mean, you know, you, you go to a California wine country, and it certainly has uh, you know there's 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 something appealing there, but there's also the East Coast were very uh, a, a little bit harder, and so you know when I'm in California and people say, oh, can I help you? I, you know, what's this person's motivation? Why are they? What are they? What do they want from me? But they may just be be being nice. Okay, Mike Madea, I think we've got everything we need from you today. Thank you so um, much. For we'll send you. Me. We'll send you an invoice for this as well. <laughs> so, for a minute, now I'm joking. Mike Madea, it's really um, great to have you on the podcast. And I, I don't it. often get to interview super computer geeks <laughs> and uh, sort of pioneering bloggers. Well, so I've learned a lot. And I've learned a lot in this interview, actually. I'm glad. Um, I'm about. Uh, I kind of almost look back and you know what you were doing in the early 2000s and what I was doing. I, I, I was a classic. You talk about wine people missing the boat, and I was one of those. So now, thanks very much for hammering that home to me all those years later. That's okay. I, I missed many opportunities to monetize and, and maybe cash out uh, during that time as well. So. Well, this podcast will be a, we'll see a change in your fortune. Yeah, there you trust go. Me. There you go. Yeah, Thank just you. Just send me 10%. I will. Nice to meet you, Mark. All right. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.